What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over here at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Been a crazy couple of weeks in NBA action. Just so many blowouts all around the league. Good teams destroying bad teams. Bad teams destroying good teams. Good teams killing good teams. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. Really, we don't have a whole ton of clarity on the power rankings within the NBA. Uh, not a whole ton to really go off of because with the three-point variance from night to night, with players resting from night to night, COVID protocols, there's just so much we don't know. So I'm going to try and help you tonight to navigate through the card market as best I can with the limited information that I have available. One player that has been consistently putting up the numbers this season, even on one of these big up and down teams, is the big fella, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, through six games, he's averaging 22.3 points, 11.2 rebounds, 12.8 assists. He's shooting 43.8% from three, which will likely come back down to earth a little bit. And that also goes along with an astronomical 70% true shooting in just an absolutely illogical 55.3% assist rate, which means that while Jokic is on the floor, over half of every teammate made field goal comes off of his assists. Uh, just breathtaking stuff out of Denver so far. Uh, he's been a monster in the on-off category too. When he's on the court, the Nuggets have an offensive rating of 123.2 points per 100 possessions, which would be the best offensive rating in the league. And when he leaves the court, that number plummets to an offensive rating of 89.6, which would be by far the worst offensive rating in the league. Uh, all of that means that the Nuggets are uh, 33.6 points better on offense when Jokic plays than when he sits. Defensively, the Nuggets are a bit better with him on the bench. Uh, defensive rating of 115.8 when he plays versus 110.5 when he sits. Although, in reality, teams tend to not bear down on defense too much when they're winning games by a large margin. And the Nuggets tend to be building leads when no Jokic is on the court. All told... Offensively and defensively put together, the Nuggets are 28.4 points per 100 possessions better when Jokic plays than when he sits. Really, really good stuff. Uh, his overall net rating is just good, but not great. 7.5 points. Uh, but the difference between when he plays and when he sits just paints a wild picture of how valuable he is. Uh, just looking at some of the catch-all metrics by player efficiency rating, he's the second best player in the league by offensive win shares. Again, second best in the league. He's number one overall in the entire league in overall win shares, and he's first in player impact estimate. Uh, now, granted, it's, it's very early in the season. Super small sample size so far. So small, in fact, that some of the catch-all metrics just aren't even available yet, like box plus minus, real plus minus, value over replacement player. We just don't have those things available yet. But the last several years, Nikola Jokic has been in the top five in literally all of these conversations. So none of this is anything new. He's just doing everything that he's done well, even a little bit better this year. He's still only 25 years old. Uh, he looks great physically out there, uh, usually early in the season. He comes in a little bit pudgy and then kind of plays himself into shape. Not so this year. Seems like he's in great shape. I know that's cliche, but he's in the best shape of his, of his life. It sure looks like he's directing the entire offense. He's dialed in on defense. And I reckon you should be expecting Nikola Jokic for MVP talk to ramp up as we progress through this season. 
not an overwhelming amount of sales recently, but I'm looking at his Prism Base PSA 10 rookie card. I chose to look at this one because it did present enough sales over the past two weeks that I could have a legitimate chart to show you on my YouTube video. Uh, in that two-week time frame, we're looking at a 22% price increase overall with a pretty sizable hike on December 30th on the back of two higher priced sales. And then only one card sold over the past four days, which came in at $840. So we see a little bit of a downturn over the last four days. I'm not advocating that you buy this card in particular, but if you're looking for a high-end player with a bit more stability that you can still invest in, I think Nikola Jokic is a pretty good option. Uh, perhaps you could be looking into something like his light blue prism rookie card, which is numbered out of 199. I think that's a really nice option, uh, just assuming that you can make that expensive splash. Certainly not going to be for everyone. But I think about a guy like Jokic, who right now and for the past few seasons has been playing like one of the top five players in the league and really has as good of a shot of anyone to be an MVP this year. And then you think about some of the other players that the market is willing to pay a much more premium price for because they have a chance to become the type of player that Jokic is right now. Uh, that's who he is. I think he's a little bit undervalued at the moment. Uh, of course, I know that the argument is that he's a center and that the market just doesn't like centers. Uh, there's general validity to that notion, but I also think it's a bit overblown. For instance, you probably see them on the screen. I want to compare Jokic to two other bigs from his rookie class, those fellas being Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Tapps Porzingis. I should mention Nikola Jokic was drafted the year before, but he did spend that season in the Adriatic League and then joined the Nuggets the next year. So all three players had their Prism rookie cards in 2015. If you're looking at the chart, you can see Porzingis and Towns essentially hugging the same area of the chart over the past two weeks, hovering in the three to $400 range. And Jokic is lapping both of them while sitting around the, the seven to $800 range, even reaching close to $1,000 on that those couple December 30th sales. Uh, all big men, all well-regarded around the league. No one would have ever thought back in 2015 that this chart would look like this with Jokic lapping the other two. A few differences, of course. Certainly, Porzingis has had injury issues. Uh, he was traded once, clearly, from New York to, to Dallas. Carl Anthony Towns, he's been on a losing team for most of his years in the league. And Jokic, meanwhile, has been on a very good Western Conference team, and he's generally been healthy all along the way. The main difference between these three players, though, I believe, is just the way the offenses flow through them. Uh, of course, in Dallas, everything revolves around Luka Doncic. In Minnesota, Carl Anthony Towns does absorb a lot of the possessions, sitting at a 29% usage over the last three seasons. But outside of being the go-to scoring option, it's not as if the offense really flows through him, not in the sense that it flows through Jokic anyways. In Denver, everything goes through Jokic, both as a scorer and more especially as a distributor. He sets up at the top of the key and then he just directs the offense from there. In that way, he's a lot more similar to other non-point guards around the league through whom their offenses generally flow, thinking guys like Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, in fact, I, I have no idea how to find it anymore. Um, since I, I don't believe there's really any public information on this, but I saw a Nylon Calculus article from about a year ago that had Jokic together with Giannis and LeBron as the clear runaways in total time of possession uh, by that point in the season. Wouldn't surprise me at all if Jokic topped that list this year. If we are to just lump Jokic in with every other center and say that the market just doesn't care, I don't think that's a fair representation at all of reality. 
you know, the market clearly already cares much more about Jokic than really any other center around the league. And I reckon that if he keeps up what he's currently doing, he's going to be seen in a category all on his own eventually. Uh, by the way, I, sh I shouldn't mention from an ability standpoint, Carl Anthony Towns has no business selling at the same prices as Porzingis. And, and no offense to Timberwolves fans, you're my brethren, uh, just across the Mississippi over there. So I love you. But this all has absolutely to do with which team he's playing on. Uh, not that I'm hoping for this, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Carl Anthony Towns request a trade in the next year or so, which... Well, it's, I guess that's just going to be a long time off. So maybe just something for you to monitor. But it's a very similar situation to the Anthony Davis type of situation. And I could see Carl Towns blossoming into a card dar market darling in the next year or so because of it. Uh, but big picture, Nikola Jokic, love him. I think everyone else should love him a bit more than they do. Sticking out West, wanted to take another peek at a player who's been struggling at the start of the new season. Uh, that's Rudy Gobert's lesser paid teammate, Donovan Mitchell, after an otherworldly bubble performance, which saw him trading 50 point games together with Jamal Murray. Mitchell's had a rough time trying to recreate those performances through the six games of the 2020-2021 season. Uh, so far in a small sample, he's sitting at 20.2 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5.3 assists while shooting just 33.9% from downtown with a rough 48.3% true shooting, all while sporting a usage rate at just over 30%. I wanted to take a look at his 2017 Optic Hollow PSA 10 rookie card sales chart uh, to see what's been going on in the market. The last sale took place on December 22nd, so that was right before the season began, and that sold at $610. Uh, my chart that I have on the screen here takes us all the way back to August 17th, which was his career high point, which was the day when he scored his first 50-point playoff game uh, when he scored 57 against the Nuggets. He followed that up six days later with a 51-point game against the Nuggets, and that's on all-time high in his card market. As PSA 10 Optic Hollow Rookie Card at that moment was selling around $8,800, uh, then like literally every single other NBA card available, he saw a huge downturn in his market, seeing a 52% drop over the next month. Uh, that's recovered really nicely as the rest of the NBA card market has. He recovered with a 62% increase in the preceding months. Uh, by the way, remember this chart as you proceed into next offseason, uh, which hopefully should lead you to not panic sell as you see the market cratering. Instead, wait till it craters, buy, and then even before you even see a game, you're going to see some good profit coming back to you. Uh, we haven't seen, however, his market return all the way to where it was when he was in the NBA bubble. But also with his slow play to start the year, uh, the Don's just seen basically zero national attention. Uh, that will change soon enough, I imagine. His usage rate is right in line with his career averages, so that's reassuring. It's not as if they're taking the ball out of his hands, uh, but his true shooting, his points per game, his three-point shooting, it's all at career lows at the moment. I certainly expect that the 24-year-old is just shaking off a bit of rust, and he's going to return to his usual form pretty soon. When that happens, I expect the, the headlines and the highlights to follow him, which should drive his card market prices right back up to where they'd been in August. Marvin Bagley's been in the news recently, almost none of it due to his on-court play. Since on-court, he's been somewhere between fine and generally kind of bad and really nothing more than that. 
He's averaging 12 points, eight rebounds, uh, one assist, shooting just about 31% from deep on 2.2 three-point attempts per game. And he's shooting a sloppy 43.7% true shooting uh, on 12 field goal attempts per game. And he is eating up a rather healthy 26% usage while he's on the court. Just not doing a whole ton with it. His on-off differential on offense is a plus 12.8 points per 100 possessions, so that is promising. Uh, but his defensive impact is that the Kings are 12.3 points worse per 100 possessions when he's on the court. Uh, now, he has been injured quite a bit so far in his career, and so the sloppy shooting, it's understandable. We, we hope that he can turn that around, but it's a combination of the constant injury and then some of the other storylines that follow him that just make him a pretty lousy investment, in my opinion. Again, it's all my opinion. I could be wrong, uh, but without seeing, the, uh, without seeing the court, he just really hasn't improved in any meaningful way in three seasons. He's also a major liability defensively, and he's in his third year, which means that the Kings are coming up on some difficult decisions with him. So I just don't really see it with this guy. And, and perhaps you saw it, but a couple days ago, Marvin Bagley's dad tweeted out, please trade Marvin Bagley the third ASAP. Love Coach Bagley tag the Sacramento Kings in that tweet reportedly that is actually his dad the next evening Aaron Fox the father of King star De'Aaron Fox tweeted out in response that was a response to another tweet but he was talking about the same thing trade him uh, obviously the dads don't run the front office and this type of stuff can easily blow over uh, but we've also seen a history of similar situations boil over in Sacramento in recent years and I wouldn't be surprised to find out that both Bagley and the Kings teammates and the Kings front office are probably all frustrated with the situation, even with their rather hot start. All of that is just a long way to ask. If you were sitting on a Marvin Bagley Prism Silver rookie card and someone was offering you around $300 for it, which is right where they've been going recently, do you think you would take it? I mean, everything combined, it's just such a risky proposition at the moment. And, and since people are still believers in him, evidently, and, and very happy to buy, judging on how on how many of his cards are trading recently, I'd probably be happy to sell with you and pocket some of the extra money if you find yourself in that position. Next, we're looking at the starting five, focusing on five guys who are still starting out their careers, either in their first or second, or will even stretch it into their third years like with the first two players that I want to highlight, starting with my boy, Dante DiVincenzo. His Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie cards are up about 43% over the past two weeks or so. And it's because he's found his stroke in the new season with an unsustainable 63% shooting from beyond the three-point arc. Maybe it is sustainable. No, it's not. But speaking as a Bucks fan that watches all his Bucks games, uh, his shot is just really just generally so much quicker and smoother now. He shoots with absolutely no hesitation at all. Um, that just was not the case the last two seasons. I've got high hopes for him. He's looked awesome so far. Uh, since he was injured most of his rookie season last year was his real first big go around. And he was awesome in a lot of ways, just super inconsistent shooting the rock. But if he is going to be shooting better this season, not 66%, of course, but if he could shoot closer to 40% from downtown, coupled with his prodigious defensive abilities, he's going to be one of the better two-way shooting guards in the entire league. I love him. I am a Bucks fan, though, so you know maybe probably take it all with a bit of a grain of salt uh, or just look around and see if other people agree with me. 
the other guy that usually seems to come up whenever I talk about Dante DiVincenzo because he's another one of my irrational love guys. That's Michael Bridges, Michael Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. His Prism Silver PSA 10 rookie cards are up 26% over the past two weeks. He's been phenomenal so far. One of the guys that every single team in the league would be extremely happy to have. Uh, shooting with great efficiency so far. Has a 46% three-point percentage. That'll certainly come down a bit. Uh, but so far, he's averaging 14 points and 5.6 rebounds, all while playing his usual prodigious defense. Uh, just an extremely good fit so far along CP3 and Devin Booker. But he's even been putting the ball on the floor with much better confidence this year. Driving to the hoop, creating shots from the mid-range, a lot of which he either just wasn't asked to do much of in the past, or he just hasn't done so much. Uh, he's clearly taken a bit of a leap, especially on offense. And it's not as if he's a high usage guy. He's only 14% usage on the season. But he's doing enough on both ends of the court that the national media is really starting to pay more attention to him. Stock is ticking up. Tyrese Halliburton has looked predictably awesome so far with the Sacramento Kings. So he's, he's looked good, I should say. In a year where there is no runaway Luka Doncic, Zion Williams, and John Morant, Trey Young type of rookies, Tyrese Halliburton is positioning himself early as a Rookie of the Year candidate. Uh, he's doing so by by just doing everything well and looking extremely comfortable comfortable playing alongside De'Aaron Fox. Per 36 minutes, he's averaging 14 points, three rebounds, six assists, and a steal, and he's shooting well from literally everywhere on the court. As a rookie, he just generally plays with so much control, and that's a rarity, especially at the point guard at the guard position. Uh, lots of good things coming up for Tyrese Halliburton. Next up, a guy who I really did not think was going to be seeing the court as much as he has so far. That's DeAndre Hunter. He's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, really struggled a ton in his rookie season, and then he's really started to turn it around in the new year here, the new season. On slightly fewer minutes with a lesser usage rate, he's actually increased his scoring. Uh, he's also taken a small leap in rebounds and in assists as well. You know, going back to college, he had the ball in his hands so much at Virginia. He was asked to do a lot there. Last year playing next to Trey Young, obviously, was kind of tough for him, apparently. He took the majority of his shots in more of catch-and-shoot scenarios and to pretty average to below-average results. This year, with the team stuffed to the gills with uh, rotation-level players, he's cut his time on the ball by a large amount and seemingly embraced shooting off the ball and done so with really, really good success so far. In possessions where he touches the ball for under two seconds, which is the majority of his possessions, he's shooting 56% from the field and 50% from three, both likely to come down a bit, but generally speaking, it's good to see him finding some comfortability in a complementary role because that just was not the case last year. All right, last up in our starting five, could talk about Kelton Johnson, who's been awesome again this week, but I already brought him up last week. Don't want to be repetitive. I could talk about Darius Baisley, who's coming off a really strong game, but I brought him up two weeks ago. So to keep it fresh with a guy I probably won't talk about a whole ton the rest of the year, Facundo Campazzo of the Denver Nuggets. He's a 29-year-old rookie coming over from Argentina to the United States. Didn't do much in his first five games over here with very few minutes on the court. But on Sunday night against Minnesota, he saw the court for 21 minutes, and he parlayed that time into 15 points on five triples, two assists, three steals, and a block. He was a plus 26 points for the game. Uh, is he going to take over Jamal Murray's role? Obviously not. 
but he absolutely could take over for Gary Harris, who's really been quite bad for a couple of years now. Uh, Campazzo, he plays with an extremely high basketball IQ, IQ and the veteran savvy that only comes when you've already played professionally for a number of years before your rookie season. Obviously, the ceiling on him is severely capped. He's a 29-year-old rookie. Uh, and while I'm, not, I'm trying not to overreact to one game, I could absolutely see him become a regular rotation player in the Denver backcourt and probably, if that's the case, become a fan favorite in Denver, the latter of which would bring a bit of card market excitement to him. Uh, but obviously, not going to be sending your kids to college on his cards or buying a car or anything like that. But it should be a pretty fun storyline for us to follow this year. All right, that's all I have for you today. As always, really appreciate you lending your time and watching the video. And we'll see you next week.